Amen. Well, we're going to continue this series. We've been asking the question, what is Christianity? The thing about Christianity. And we're just basically looking at this, asking, is there something about Christianity that we have missed? Something that is the focus or purpose that we've assumed? Is there a way we've gotten off track or off focus in what God is leading us too. And in order to do that, we said, hey, we got to do a little bit of backtracking through the story of God's word. And that's what we've been doing and call it this first part or first section of this 12-week sermon series. We're in the fourth week of this series. And we've seen up till now the birth of a nation, Israel. We've seen the struggle in them eventually wanting to be like all the other kingdoms. The problems that came with that, we saw then last week the problems that came with the desire to have a temple like all of the other nations as well. And then, of course, what happens when you reduce God to the location of only the temple, and you stay in there and we'll do our thing out here. And that's kind of where we leave off at the end of the life of Solomon. You'll see in your sermon notes this morning, it's all passages for you to look at. And you'll notice they're kind of excerpts from different things we're talking about. So your job is to go this week and to read the whole story that goes with it. I'm going to walk you through it, but certainly in a survey style. Um, you go and read the whole passage so that you understand the full context of what we're talking about. So sound good? All right, here's what I want you to do this week is I want you to put yourself in this story. Now, we always want to be careful. There is this thing, and you maybe have heard the word. It's a weird word. It's called hermeneutics. Have you ever heard that word before? It basically means this. There are certain principles of how you have to interpret Scripture. The first one is always context. You always want to know is what is the context that this was originally written in. We've been talking about that every week in this series, trying to put it in the context of the nation of Israel, right? We're going to do that this week. But at the same time, the Word of God can speak to us. The Word of God can inspire us. And so I want you to find where you actually show up in this story. And you're going to see several times in the story today, it feels like, man, this is a low point. Could it get any worse? Have you ever thrown your hands up and said, oh, what next in your life? Right? Just me? Never you? Yeah, all of us, right? At some point, we feel that. What we're asking is... Can it get any lower? It's low. Can it get any lower? And you're going to see the progression of the nation of Israel here and what they experience. And the word low will come out kind of loud and clear. It'll show up. But I want you to see this underlying thing. And I want you to grab hold of this in your own faith in Christ. There is an original promise from God made to Abraham where he says, I will bless the nations. I will bless everyone through you. And even though we know up till now it doesn't seem like in the story to this point, it's not going to seem like it this week, that there's a great path to blessing all the nations. There are times in your life when you're thinking low, where you're like, it doesn't feel like the promises of God. The promises of God can be claimed. It's not going to happen. And certainly God's not going to use me to bless anyone else's life or help anyone else in life. I can hardly tread water as it is. I want you to see yourself in the story. I want you to claim that God made you a promise. The day still comes. And that God wants to use you to bless someone else. So let's jump right into it. After Solomon's death, right, uh, 
Rehoboam became king. Now, this is not a name that we use all that much because Rehoboam was foolish and actually made decisions that immediately divided the kingdom. So because of that, you don't think, hey, let's name our son Rehoboam, right? Didn't go very well. We find right away there's a northern kingdom, Israel, and they abandon God by 700 B.C. They just say, hey, we're done with all this, and they go on and they start worshiping the idols and the cults of the neighboring. They, they just get in, in, in camp and, and engulfed with that. The southern kingdom, Judah, they're on the verge of the same path. They're doing like Solomon was doing. They're worshiping these pagan gods right along with the God of Israel. This is a divided kingdom. There's a divided military, there's a divided economy, and the economy is shrinking, and it's having difficulty. Some of the neighboring Assyria in Syria, they are looking for the right avenue and the right excuse to invade. These are tough times. Low would be the word. So God sends a series of prophets, right? You know the Old Testament. You understand prophets. God sends them, and he sends these prophets, and many times to chastise, to exhort, to speak his word, and to warn the people of what God is saying or what might be to come. One of these prophets is Isaiah. You remember the, the name Isaiah, right? All right? We like Isaiah. We name our kids Isaiah, right? Isaiah's uh, prophecy, it's a... Uh, it's pretty tough to understand without historical context. In fact, it's pretty tough to understand with historical context. Now, the reason I share this to you, because in the midst of what was the lowest time for the nation, now divided nation, Israel, or, uh, yeah, um, Isaiah steps in, excuse me, in the midst of all this, and he actually kind of resurrects and re-speaks this promise that might have not been heard for a while or maybe even forgotten. Here's what he writes, Isaiah chapter 49, it's in your notes. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. That's what they've been praying up till now. Lord, would you restore us? This is low. God said, look, it's too small of a thing for me to just restore you. God has more in mind. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. There it is. Reset the promise that was offered to Abraham, to which they thought not going to happen, right? Do we ever think those things are going to happen at our lowest point? They certainly didn't. Once again, listen, this was an era of conquest and plunder. This is a time where, where stronger nations invaded weaker nations and they overtook them and they became that nation, right? This is what's happening. Nobody was looking to bless anybody else during this period of time. Now, after uh, Isaiah died, Judah, the southern kingdom, right, divided kingdom, they were invaded by Babylon. You might remember this from your Sunday school days, this, this story. And after this, this is when we shared last week when Solomon's, uh, Solomon's magnificent temple, remember the temple we talked about? This is when it was destroyed. But just before it was destroyed, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered that the God image be brought back to Babylon so he could put it in his, his God vault or his God collection. No lie. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a God collection. So, of course, you may remember from last week that when they went in, the soldiers went in to where the Holy of Holies was, did they find that image? No, nothing there. 
So instead, they kind of plundered everything else that was around, all the gold and tables and everything else. They packed it all up, and they headed back to Babylon with a significant number of the population, now slaves, with them. You might remember four of them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Here was the verse. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Lo, not going to happen, right, Lord? Now, lucky for Israel, God was what? Mobile. So, uh, behind Nebuchadnezzar's back, God managed to actually smuggle himself in to the caravan, and they headed back to Judea, uh, out of Judea and into Babylon. This is what the book of Daniel, if you're familiar in the Old Testament, is all about, those stories of God. Now, Babylon actually fell to the Persians in 538 B.C., and Emperor Cyrus the Great, you might remember him, shows up in the Bible. He actually allowed that the Jews could return now to their land. And they could even rebuild their temple. In fact, he ordered them to rebuild their temple. And he told them just how big it could be. Smaller. A whole lot smaller. Israel chapter, or Ezra chapter 3 actually shares this story. So that's what they did. They began to build it. And just when the foundation of the temple was done, it wasn't built up, just the foundation of the temple was done, those who were old enough to have remembered Solomon's temple, they wept when they saw how not great and not grand the size of even the foundation was. Ezra chapter 3. But many of the older priests and Levites and heads of the family who had seen the first house wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this house. The new, smaller temple, listen, was a visual reminder of how low a nation could go. Just a side note on that. Do you have visual reminders in your life of how low it got? Or how low it can go? Or maybe even how low you feel right now? Like, is there something that is just like blatantly in front of you? And you would say, that's what it is. And it seems like, like what they're staring at, it seems like for you, it's an actual foundation of your life. Like, it's the, the bottom layer that everything else is going to be built off of. I think we see ourselves sometimes in this low place. What do we do? Where does it go from here? Let's continue the story and find out. The fact that this foreign king could dictate to them how big and just what their temple could look like, that stung even more to them. Now, the older folks, they weren't the only ones that, that weren't very impressed with this Econo temple. It seemed like God wasn't much either. God, best we can tell, he never moved in to this temple. He never inhabited this renovated temple. And listen, spoiler alert, when we get there, he never inhabited the new temple that Herod would build either. More on that when we get there. Apparently, God was done with temples. Wasn't his idea to begin with. Remember, he is the mobile, inhabiting, and spirit God. This is what set him apart from all of the other gods in the day. He was fine with the tent. Besides, uh, by the time, uh, this time, the Ark of the Covenant and many of the other artifacts, they were gone. They were lost anyway. So it didn't quite feel like the old days to the people as it was. God understood, though, how important 
this temple meant to these people who were recently returned exiles. And so he spoke to them through the prophet Haggai. Here's what he says. Take a look at your notes. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? To which they might have thought, yes, compared to Solomon's temple, it is nothing. He continues. Be strong, all of you of the land, declares the Lord Almighty, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Listen. Notice how God is saying, look, it is super low. I totally agree with you. Look at this temple. It looks like nothing. It's junk compared to the previous temple. I know your heart is breaking. I know you feel terrible. You feel low. You feel like, can anything more be heaped upon us? And then God basically steps in with a word. He says, remember. Remember, I'm with you. I'm with you. I covenanted to be with you. When I covenant with someone, I keep up my end of the bargain, is what, G what God is saying here. I am with you. I am among you. Listen, do you need to hear that this morning? In your lowest of low points this morning, do you need to be reminded of the promise that you as Christians that now have Christ, that God is with you in the form of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is among you. He covenanted with you when you decided to follow him, and he keeps his side of the covenant. That's what's being told here. But let's go on. Ready for this? In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. The word in Hebrew is, I will once again touch the heavens and the earth. And the dry land, I will shake, I will touch all nations. I will affect everyone is what he's saying. There's this all nation things again. It seemed highly unlikely to the people at this time that God could do anything that would affect all nations. But he continues, I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will, get this, fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. God is saying, look, I'm not done. The plan it is not over. I am still coming. The plan I made, the covenant I made to Abraham, is still on its way. Now, if you've read those verses carefully, you might notice that God pretty much told him he wasn't moving in. He said he would be with them. He said he would be among them. He would keep his all-nation promise, but he would not fill this temple until a later future date. Then in the end, he shares this in, in Haggai 2.9. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. You see this foundation that looks like nothing? This will be greater. What I have coming. Reinstated something big is on the way. Something big is coming. Now, not too long after this uh, scaled-down temple was completed, uh, things in Judea, they spiraled out of control again. They got worse. The newly renovated construction, it seemed for a short time to kind of revive their hope that the old days of King David and the early days of King Solomon were going to return, but nothing like that ever happened. Do you ever say, like, oh, if I could just go back to, how often does that happen? 
Usually God just says, no, let's keep tracking forward. The same thing happened here. The temple and everything associated with it, when it was complete, it was a painful reminder of a past era that was likely never to return. The economy started to decline. Interest in the temple worship started to decline as well. They actually started to have this rise in political and temple bickering, temple leader bickering back and forth. So you, you saw a divide start to happen there, already among a divided kingdom. Into this mess steps the prophet Malachi. Do you remember this name? If you remember your Old Testament at all. His prophecy actually serves kind of a bookend to what we call the Old Testament. And while he's last, you're going to see he's certainly not least. Like all the other prophets, Malachi steps in and kind of berates the people for their selfishness, for their faithlessness, for their immorality, and for their apathy. But he also reminds them of God's unending love and for this unavoidable judgment. But in the early remarks, uh, Malachi actually restates this promise that Isaiah restated himself. In spite of everything that people had done to dishonor God, God would uphold his end of the covenant. Israel would be a means to an end. Through Israel, all nations would be blessed. And that's good news for you and I, because we are all nations. Take a look at what Malachi says. My name will be great among the nations. There it is again. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be poured out to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Then later, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. The end. Malachi turns off the light, locks the doors, heads out into the wilderness. Well, not really, but it must have felt that way for the people. Because for 400 years or so after that, there were no prophets. At least none that Israel took very serious. After the Persians came, the, the Ptolemies, followed by the, 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 Seleucids, or the Seleucids, and then in uh, 167 BC, there was this glimmer of hope. Uh, what happened was there was this group of people, they were zealots, who were called the Maccabees. And they gathered their army, and they actually overthrew the Greek invaders. And there was this period where they actually cleansed and rededicated and opened the temple for business. For the first time, and for a very short time, they no longer had foreign control. But when Judas Maccabees passed away, many people had thought he was the Messiah sent by God. But when he passed away, things again spiraled out of control. And then you'll remember from last week, in 63 BC, General Pompey made his famous visit to the Jewish temple. And that's when he annexed Judea to the Roman Republic. Later, the empire. Low. This is low. Could it go any lower? That's a question we ask ourselves. Now, while it can be argued that God was silent, he certainly was not still during this time. Paul actually captures this when he writes in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, what was happening. It says this, Galatians chapter 4, But when, he, when the set time had fully come, once God had everything and everyone in place, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might have adopt, received adoption to sonship. When no one expected it, when most had given up hope, as the Roman Republic transitioned into the Roman Empire, God moved. Listen, do you need to hear that this morning? That even in the lowest of lows, when you would never expect it, when maybe you had got to the point where you had given up hope, or even your memory of the promise God made to be with you and among you, God wants to move. Maybe you need to grab hold of that and remember that promise this morning. A carpenter discovered his fiancée was pregnant, and while deciding what to do about this, an angel came and spoke to him. Here's what the angel said. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was it. The wait was over. What God had promised Abraham till now would be now fulfilled. The nations on the earth, they were on the verge of receiving their blessing. And as part of the process, God would actually revisit the temple one more time, but not as a cloud. This time he would show up as a Galilean carpenter turned rabbi. A rabbi who would start a movement that neither empire nor temple could extinguish. And in the end, as promised, all the nations of the world would be promised. Or, uh, excuse me, blessed. That is the promise of God that he's holding on to. This morning, I hope you find yourself in the story, especially if it's a low point, that you will remember the covenant and the promises of God. And you will remember that God wants to move. Or maybe God is moving. And for us to recognize what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, this morning... Lord, it may be that somebody in here just needs to re, Lord, re-declare their remembrance of your promise that you came into their life to save them, to give them life. Now, Lord, you want to guide and direct them, and you've never left. Lord, we're the ones that often have walked away. We're the ones that have quieted your voice or put our hand up to your direction. But you've never gone anywhere. And your promise to us still holds true. Father, if there be anyone in here who's in that boat that, that forgiveness is what they need to seek, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for not having faith in you. Forgive me for not trusting and walking in your ways. For the nation of Israel, there was many who it was their own sin and their own selfishness that caused these problems. For some others in the nation, Lord, they, they, they had to take the punishment right along with the nation. Whichever place you're in this morning, would you turn and find hope in the promise God has offered you? That he once again wants to move in your life. 
And that not just the point where you can feel like you're no longer on the low, but just like the nation of Israel, just like the promise to Abraham, that one day you and I, we would be a blessing to all those around us. We would be ones that would go and share Christ. We would offer hope and life to them. As God would do through Christ. So Lord, send us out to that end, we pray in your son's name. Amen.